All right, we're going to continue through the book of Second Chronicles. We're going to turn to chapter 2, and we're going to try and go through 2 and 3 tonight. So now we're going to see King Solomon is going to write a letter to King Hiram uh, requesting some help in building the temple, and then we're going to see as David starts to actually build the temple that David has had on his heart for years and years. And uh, so let's go ahead and get straight into it. In verse 1, it says, Then Solomon determined to build a temple uh, for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. So we see Solomon is determined to build this temple. His uh, determination was fitting because of his father preparing all these items to build this temple. And that dream of David seems to become the dream of Solomon as well in getting this temple built. And it was going to be for the name of the Lord. We see also that he's going to have himself a royal house built. And we might think that a lot of people think of Solomon that his fame may have came from his riches that, his, that he had, maybe the Proverbs that he wrote. Um, what else could he have had? I mean, he wrote many other things. But the author here is showing that the important part of what Solomon was doing was building this temple because this was going to come into play for those coming back out of exile. To have that motivation to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city wall, as they're coming back from Babylon, and they're noticing that King Solomon was going to build the temple, and it might give them a little extra motivation to get this temple built onto the Lord as they're coming back from exile. So that's one of the main uh, things that this author is going to show here in the book of Chronicles as far as Solomon building this temple. And in verse 2 it says, Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. So here, Solomon is getting his workforce put together. But I'm going to look at this at a little different angle. And in Matthew 16, 18, it tells us that, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is building his church up. And the tools that he uses and so graciously uses is us to help build that church and to push it forward. And we see here with these uh, different people here, with the people who are going to be burden bearers, those who are carrying the heavy loads uh, to build this temple, the, the stones and the, and, the, and the gold items and all these things that had to be carried around on, on this uh, construction site was, was carried around by the burden bearers. And I look at that, and we spoke about this in First Kings, First and Second Kings, I look at that as the prayer warriors. Our people who are on their knees night and day and that, that God has given the gift to be able to pray like they do. This bearing the burdens of the church, bearing the burdens of their families and what have you. So I'll look at these burden barriers as our prayer warriors we have today. And then it says, and we need people to pray. We need people to bear the burdens of others. And then he had 80,000 were chosen to be, uh, to carve stone. Those who were in the quarry to carve the stone out of the mountain. Now look at these people who are disciplers, people who are, are discipling the, uh, the young believer and informing them. These are our Sunday school teachers. These are our, these are our Bible study leaders, the evangelists. They're smoothing out the rough edges of the living stone, getting them to fit into the church. And then we have the 3,600 overseers, and that speaks of the leadership of the church, the pastors, the uh, elders, those who, who are in leadership in, inside the body of Christ, this overseeing everything, ensuring that, that, that people are okay and taking care of them and shepherding them. That's what I look at here. 
And then moving on to verse 3, it says, Then Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, saying, as you, as you have dealt with David, my father, and sent him cedar to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord, my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offering, morning and evening, on the Sabbath, on the new moons, and on the uh, set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the temple which I build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. Amen. But who is able to build him a temple, since heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? So here we see Solomon writing this letter to Hiram to get the help he needs, explaining the plans that he has in building a temple onto the Lord. And, he's, and Solomon explains the purpose, that he wants to build this house for the name of the Lord, and he wants to dedicate it to him. And Solomon is telling us that he wants to use this place as a, as a meeting place to be able to burn incense, to do the sacrifices unto the Lord. And he's, he's stating here in verse 6 that he knows that no building can contain God. He said the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. So in Solomon's mind at this point in time, this was not to be a place that God would live, per se, because he couldn't be housed in a, in a building anyway. But this is a place where you can go and meet God and sacrifice to God and ask for forgiveness from God and to just worship God. This was to be a place of worship that Solomon was building here. Now, people would eventually kind of confuse that and, and kind of use the temple in, in superstitious ways. But Solomon's heart at this point was just to build a place of worship to where people can go and meet with the living God, knowing that God is not contained in this house, not contained on earth, not contained, like he says, in the heaven of heavens. But this is the place where you can go and meet with him. And we all need to find that spot where we can go and meet with God and be able to just worship him, read his word, and just hear, hear more about this love letter that he's written to us. And we need to find that space of worship. And this is what Solomon was trying to do here in building this temple. Getting a central spot for his people. The people of Israel can come and just worship and adore God. And in verse 7 it says, Therefore send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue who has skill to engrave with skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, who David, my father, provided. So here we see Solomon asking him for these expert builders. He may have seen entire these temples that may have been built there and said, wow, those are some nice temples. These are nice buildings that they have here. Can you send someone with that type of expertise to come down and help me build this temple? And so he's asking Hiram right now to help him uh, bring someone in to help him build this sanctuary. And we know from First and Second Kings all the gold that Solomon had. He had so much gold, he overlayered almost everything in this temple with gold. It was a really extravagant building that was being put up here. In verse 8 it says, Also send me cedar, cypress, and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut uh, timber in Lebanon. 
And indeed, my servants will be with your servants. So he's going to have his servants work along with the experts, woodsmen that he has. Uh, To prepare timber for me in abundance for the temple, which I'm about to build, shall be great and wonderful. And indeed, I will give to your servants, the woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 core of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. So Solomon is asking for abundance of timber, which they did not necessarily have there in Israel. But further north in Lebanon, they had a lot of timber that could be sent down. And he also realizes that this king also helped his father David in building his his palace. So a lot of that uh, timber had came from there as well. And knowing that this timber uh, that Solomon would, uh, would need could be required from him, he also was told him that, hey, if you send this down to me, I'm going to send you workers with this stuff, with the barley, with the wheat, with the oil, with the wine. He was going to make sure that he was going to take care of the workers that he was going to have in his possession. And anybody in leadership, we needed to make sure we take care of our workers as well and treat them well and get them the items they need to perform their jobs and the compensation they need for doing a well job. But we see Solomon preparing that compensation for these workers here. In verse 11 then Hiram, king of Tyre, uh, answered in writing with, uh, which he sent to Solomon. Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. So here we see Hiram's reply. He's, he's delicate in his reply. He's given a little bit of flattery to Solomon in his reply because he doesn't want to lose that relationship with Israel. He had a great relationship with Israel when it, when it came to uh, King David. And he doesn't want to lose that here either. And we can't say whether Hiram was a man who was saved or not at this point, but he knew who God was. I mean, look look at what he says in verse 11. He says, because the Lord, and this is all capital Lord, this is the special name the Jews gave to God. And you see all capitals there. Loves his people, and he has made you king over them. So he recognized that Solomon is blessed because of God and that his people in Israel are loved by God. And Charles Spurgeon kind of had a, a little uh, twist on this. He says, he, Spurgeon said that he saw this verse as a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. He says, because God loved his people, he said, he made Jesus king over them. And it says, for God sent, uh, not, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn his people, but to liberate them. And looking at this, because the Lord loved his people, he has made you king over them. Jesus is the king that's over us. Amen. And because he does love us, he loves his children. In verse 12, it says, Aram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. And now I have sent skillful men endowed with understanding, Hiram, my master uh, master of craftsmen, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was the man of Tyre, skilled in working gold and silver and bronze and iron stone and wood, purple and blue uh, fine linen and crimson. And to make an uh, engraving and to accomplish 
any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David, your father. So we see Hiram is answering the request of Sol- Solomon, asking for this skilled worker that, that, that is kind of a jack of all trades almost to be able to do all these things. And he's going to send this gentleman to him. Now he says, this gentleman, uh, Hiram says that this gentleman's mother was of the tribe of Dan. So he is half Israelite and half Tyrene, I guess you can say, uh, coming in. And that seems like that would be a good thing. And maybe at this moment, Solomon didn't think much of it. But those coming out of exile may look at this and say, he's a half-breed. He's half-Israeli and half... And that didn't fly very well with a lot of those in Israel at this time. A lot of those who, who were like that were looked down upon. But he's coming in to help build this temple at the request of Solomon. In verse 15, it says... Now, there, uh, now, therefore, the wheat, the barley, the oil, the wine, which my Lord has spoken of, let him send to his servants. And we will cut uh, wood from Lebanon as much as you need. We will bring it to you in rafts by the Sea of Joppa. And you will carry it, upon, uh, carry it up to Jerusalem. Then Solomon numbered all of the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David, his father, had numbered them. And there were uh, found to be 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them uh, bearers of burdens, 80,000 stonecutters in the mountains, and 3,600 overseers to make the people work so here in the beginning we were talking about all the workers he kind of repeats it again at the end and it kind of talks about the payment that Solomon was going to pay to him and Solomon would use these people to build this temple this temple would would turn out being a, a place where People from all over the world, the known world at that time, would come to, to either worship God or to see whatever spectacle was going on at the time as we move on in his reign. And this temple, you can say, was definitely a temple for the nations. It was even people from other nations that came in and to build it. It was, not just a, it was just not the Jews that came in to build this temple. We had people from outside coming in to build it. So you could truly say that this was a, uh, a nation. Um, this was a temple for all nations coming in to do this as we move on to chapter three we're going to start in verse one says now solomon began to build the house of the lord at jerusalem on the mount of uh, mount moriah where the lord had appeared to his father david at the place that david had prepared on the threshing floor of ornan the jebusite so remember this how david ended up buying the land from ornan uh, the threshing floor where the Lord had appeared to him. And David found that this place was going to be the perfect spot to build the temple. It's, it's, it's a flat area. The Lord met me here. So we're going to build the temple right here. And he has set up all the plans, talked to Solomon about it already. And here we see Solomon about to start building this temple in this exact spot. Now, Mount Moriah has a lot of history there as well. Not only was this a spot that David bought the land for the temple, but we also see uh, in Genesis, as we've been studying on Sundays, Abraham going to sacrifice his son and God intervening uh, and providing the sacrifice. 
And this is also the place of Calvary, where our Savior was the provided sacrifice, where the sacrifice was made for us. So this uh, area of Mount Moriah definitely has a lot of history here and a lot of beginnings here. The beginning of the, of, of the faith with Abraham and the Jewish nation. We see, we see the beginning of the building of the temple right here as we read in through Scripture. And we see where all our beginnings started at Calvary when each of us accepted Christ. So you know what comes with beginnings? In a place of sacrifice, there's times money is sacrificed. There's sometimes our energy is sacrificed. Time is sacrificed whenever we have begun with our life with Christ. But that's all right, because in the end, all that sacrifice will be worth it when we're with him in heaven. Amen. Verse 2, it goes on to say, And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. So it took him four years before he actually started building this temple up. So he probably had a lot of planning and a lot of decisions to be made on how this was going to be done uh, before he even started building it. This is the foundation which Solomon laid for the building, the house of God. The length was 60 cubits by cubits according to the former measure and the width 20 cubits. So four years between him becoming, beginning his reign and actually starting to build the temple here. And the temple would be 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet high, uh, 45 feet high, and that's twice as big as the tabernacle, but still relatively small. But if you add it up, all the money, this would be about approximately $10 billion project to build this, because you've got to think of all the silver and all the gold, all these items that he, he placed into this temple. So this is a pretty, pretty expensive um, building project. In verse 4, it says the vestibule that was in the front of the sanctuary was 20, was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the height was 120. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. The larger room he, painted with, uh, he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with uh, fine gold. He carved palm trees and chain work on it. And he, de- and he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty. And the gold was gold from Porvain. He also overlaid the house, the beams of the doorposts, its walls and doors with gold and carved cherubim on the walls. And he made the most holy place, its length with according to the width and of the house, 20 cubits, its width 20 cubits. He overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. So in front of the sanctuary was like a, a porch that was there that, that people would meet. And it was extended 20 cubits uh, of, of the width of the building. And this was 120 cubits high. It was kind of like, kind of like the, the front part was higher than the rest of the building. Kind of like some of our churches that have the steeples on top. Almost like pointing towards God and where the worship was going to be directed. And the, temp- and the tabernacle and the temple were divided into three chambers. You had the courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies inside this building. And the courtyard was visible to everyone. The holy, uh, the holy place was visible to the priests. And then the holy of holies was only seen by the high priest. 
And we look at our own selves being the, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, and, we, and we look at this and we can see our outer presence, our outer part is seen by all. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything. They, they, everyone can see our outer core. And then when we get to the holy, um, the holy place, that is only seen, that's our soul, that's only seen by a few individuals who really get to know us deeply and, and get to share life with us. And then the holies of holies is reserved for our high priest, Jesus Christ, where we get to, to, to be with him and fellowship with him. And we look at this, and, and the more important application, however, is that these three parts of the temples can be good indications, indicators of where we are in our walk. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice that is made on our outer portion or our outer court. A lot of sacrifice in relationships, a lot of sacrifice in our time, in our money. is a lot of sacrifice that's being made here. But then as you, as you step in a little bit closer, we start talking about the holy place and our service unto the Lord and our helping of others is another step towards getting closer to Christ. But then the best part of it is how Mary was in Luke ten forty two when she sat at the feet of Jesus in the holy of holies and having that, that, um, that fellowship with him. And that's where we ultimately want to be, to be fellowshipping with God in the holies of holies, with Christ, learning from him, just like Mary was. And in verse 9, it says, The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. So we're looking at nails that were made of gold. We got some old aluminum nails out here, but they got golden nails. But let's think about the nails on Calvary and how, how much more expensive and lavish those nails were and the cost of those nails were. These gold nails, in, in that comparison, don't count that. It's not that much. <laughs> but the nails on Calvary is worth a lot. Amen. Verse 10, it says, The most holy place is made, uh, he made two cherubim fashioned with uh, carvings and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim uh, were 20 cubits in overall length. One wing of the, of the one cherub was five cubits touching the wall of the room, and the other wing was five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub. One wing of the other cherub was five cubits touching the wall of the room, and the other wing also was five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub. The wings of the cherubim spanned 20 cubits overall, they stood on their feet and they faced inward. And he made the evil uh, he made the veil of blue, purple, crimson, and fine linen, and wove cherubim into them. In Revelations nineteen, we see John was so impressed with the angels whenever he, he got this vision from God that he wanted to bow down and worship the angels, but the angels end up telling them, No, you worship God, you don't worship us. And we see here with the cherubim as he has them described, that they're not just sitting there looking out, looking for worship, but they're standing there looking in towards God, who we should worship. And that's who we worship. We worship God. We don't worship these other entities. We don't worship the angels. And, the, and here it is showing where our direction should be, inward towards God, worshiping him at all times. Amen. And in verse 15, it says, also he made uh, in front of the temple, 
two pillars, 35 cubits high, and the capital that was on the top of each of them was five cubits. He made reefs of chain work, as in the inner sanctuary, and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates and put them on the reefs of chain work. Then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right and the other on the left. And he called the name of the one on the right, right hand, Jackin, and the name of the other one on the left, Boaz. So we look at this, he has these, uh, these chain links that are put in here. And we can think of chain links as unity. He wanted to make Israel united, worshiping one God in this place that, he, that they were going to call the temple of God. And there was unity that was to be brought there. Then we look at the pomegranates, you think of fruitfulness that, he, that would come from this unity and this oneness together in worshiping God. And where there is unity, there will be fruit. But where there is division, there will be no fruit. And us as a body of Christ, we do need to come together as one. Uh, look, as believers, we must embrace those who also love Jesus, who also has asked him to be Lord and Savior in their lives and not have any division amongst us. There are certain things within the Bible, certain doctrines that we can agree to disagree on. But if our essentials are there, we need to be able to come alongside with them and, 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 and continue to push the kingdom of God on and not discriminate against them. And in verse thir- uh, 17, finally, he talks about the two pillars of Jackin and Boaz. The one named Jackin means he shall establish. And Boaz in his strength. So he shall establish this in his strength. It's not only that this temple was built by, uh, built by God, but it would be maintained by him as well. Just like his church is maintained by him. And he establishes his church in strength. And we get our strength from him. Because we all know we can't do it on our own. We know we have to pull from his strength that he has and gives us liberally. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for this message tonight. Uh, as we go through these different passages that sometimes seem like it wouldn't be too significant, you know, but it's it's so much meat there, Father God, and there's so much you want to say to us, and we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, that you you give your Holy Spirit to us to be able to teach us and guide us and and counsel us, Lord, on your word to where we can share it with others, Father. Uh, We just thank you for the people here tonight. We ask for your blessing over them. We ask uh, for your blessing for those who are not here tonight and safe travels back home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.